The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Monday, the 18th of December here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up today, Israel pushes back against growing calls from allies for a ceasefire in Gaza. The Fed's Austin Goolsby warns traders not to count their chickens on rate cuts. And from overcrowded prisons to record court backlogs, the UK's criminal justice system is being pushed to breaking point. We have a special report. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Israel's European allies are pushing it towards a ceasefire. Foreign secretaries from the UK, France and Germany have all called for hostilities to end after three of Hamas's hostages were mistakenly shot by the Israeli military. Despite the shootings sparking widespread protests in Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has stood firm. We will achieve all of our goals, elimination of Hamas, the release of all of our hostages, and a promise that Gaza will not once again become a center of terror, incitement against the state of Israel, and attacks against the state of Israel. Israel's Prime Minister speaking there through a translator. Netanyahu may come under more international pressure when the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin visits the country later this week. Egypt, meanwhile, is trying to reassure the shipping world that the Suez Canal is safe despite the conflict. The world's largest container companies are starting to avoid routes via the Red Sea after merchant ships were fired on near Yemen. The US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says it's a global problem. The Houthis represent a material threat to freedom of navigation, to commercial shipping, to lawful commerce. This is not about the United States and Israel. This is about the entire international community. Sullivan was speaking after Muller-Mursk announced that their vessels would divert around the Red Sea. Suez Canal transit fees are a major source of foreign currency for Egypt, which is battling its worst economic crisis in decades. Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby says that it is too early to declare victory over inflation. Goolsby has been more optimistic than most policymakers about the prospects of a soft landing for the US economy. But he says that there's still work to do to get inflation down to 2%. Here's what he told CBS's Face the Nation. 2023 looks like it's going to end up being a very substantial reduction in inflation without a big increase in the unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. That's the golden path that I talked about. But we're still above the target. We got to get inflation down to target before, until we're convinced that we're on path to that. It's an overstatement to be counting the chickens. 
Goolsby and his fellow policymakers left interest rates unchanged at last week's meeting and signalled that they expect three rate cuts next year. On Friday, we'll get fresh data on the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, that is the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. Now, the White House has taken aim at former President Donald Trump over his use of inflammatory language to describe immigrants. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports now on the Republican frontrunner's remarks. The White House says they are un-American. The statement says echoing the grotesque rhetoric of fascists and violent white supremacists. Trump was trying to rally his base around the issue of immigration. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. Saying they're coming in from all over the world. From Africa, from Asia, all over the world. They're pouring into our country. The White House says clear oppression and a threat to democracy. And Trump rival Chris Christie on CBS has heard on Bloomberg. I don't know how you could take someone like that and say that they're fit to be president of the United States. Trump continues to hold a massive lead in the polls of the GOP. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Now, a Britain may end the year in recession. That story now from Bloomberg's James Wilcock. The UK economy is in a miserable state. Inflation is expected to come in at 4.3% later this week, and third quarter GDP is currently zero. But recent week retail sales have made some economists wonder if the rarely watched revised data this Friday could take UK growth into the negative zone. It's marginal territory, but it's a sign of Britain's woes that the economists are choosing to decide between stagnation and recession. It all leaves Prime Minister Rishi Sunak with a bleak backdrop at the end of his first full year in office. In London, James Wilcock, Bloomberg Radio. Now, Ryanair's CEO will receive a 100 million euro bonus if the airline's shares keep rising. According to reports in the Financial Times, Michael O'Leary will earn the sum in share options if the company maintains a share price of 21 euros for 28 consecutive days. The potential payout is part of a bonus plan originally set to expire in 2024, which was extended until 2028 last December, when holdings were below 13 euros. Ryanair Ryanair's shares closed at a record weekly high of €18.84 on Friday. Data compiled by Bloomberg shows analysts are optimistic that stock options will continue to rise, betting on an average target price of over €24 in the next year. And just lastly, staff at Citigroup have been told they can work from home during the festive period. Bloomberg's Tiwa Adebayo has the details. Employees have to stay in their country of employment, but Citigroup is again allowing staff to work remotely for the final two weeks of the year. The firm is widely considered to have some of the most generous, flexible working guidelines in the financial sector. Most staff are expected to be in the office just three days a week, but Citigroup has signalled workers will face consequences for failing to comply with attendance policies. News of the festive perk comes as the lender is set to make job cuts in the midst of its biggest overhaul in decades. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio. I think we all need a bit of festive cheer, don't we? Even if you can't actually face decorating the tree yourself, Bloomberg has this fantastic guide to all the nicest hotels, I think, uh, that will deliver you relaxation plus Christmas cheer. How about an in-room tree adorned with jewellery that you can then uh, keep in lieu of ornaments? It's all on offer in New York. Luxury resorts going all out this season with in-suite decorating marshmallow bubble baths from an elf. Anyway, it's on the Bloomberg. 
Peg Terminal if you want to have a read of that as we, yes, get into, I suppose, the quiet period of the year. But there is still important news for us to cover, of course, for you here on Bloomberg Radio. I want to turn our attention uh, to one of the most serious stories over the last three months. Uh, Israel's government faces growing calls now for a ceasefire from the UK, from France and Germany. Israel's foreign minister has said that any call for a ceasefire, though, with Hamas is a, quote, prize for terrorism. This as it was revealed that three hostages were mistakenly shot by the Israel Defence Forces. This revealed over the weekend. Let's bring in now to discuss Bloomberg senior editor Bill Ferries. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for being with us. How much pressure um, from allies is there in terms of halting the war? Is that really a shift in terms of the weight of pressure on the Israeli government? It certainly seems to be. You're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing some of Israel's closest allies at this point uh, raising the pressure uh, on Prime Minister Netanyahu's government to either uh, quickly agree to a a short term ceasefire or in some cases consider uh, a longer term sustainable ceasefire. That was sustainable ceasefire was the terminology we saw in a a letter from uh, uh, David Cameron and Annalena Baerbach uh, over the weekend. So. Uh, the pressure is ramping up. The U.S. Defense Secretary is expected in Israel uh, on Monday as well. And uh, the U.S. position is still firmly behind Israel, but increasing the pressure for them to change tactics and uh, how they operate in Gaza as well. So I think Israel feeling increasingly isolated, uh, even by some of its closest friends, as this war continues. Yeah, Israel indeed has pushed back against those calls for a ceasefire, even though, as you mentioned, the article from um, the Foreign Secretary David Cameron and his opposite number in Germany was was long and it was sort of quite carefully worded, but it did feel like a ratcheting up of, of pressure. Um, Israel has pushed back against that. How? Well, we, you know, I think you mentioned at the, at the top the comments from uh, from Israel's foreign minister who said... Uh, any call for a ceasefire with Hamas is a prize for terrorism, and we won't agree to it. That said, there is some reporting by CNN and others that uh, Israel has made some progress in talks with Qatar, who has been the traditional mediator in this conflict between Israel and Hamas, about uh, some sort of an agreement that would uh, potentially pause fighting and, uh, and ideally allow for more hostages to be released. Israel's uh, struck a very defiant tone against the pressure so far, but uh, the reality is that even domestically within Israel, Prime Minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu's government is under increasing pressure after those three hostages were apparently killed by Israeli forces uh, last week. So uh, the, that tone of defiance may be something that shifts as uh, as as this episode kind of works its way through the Israeli political process. Yeah, indeed. And there were protests around this in Israel over the weekend. Um, the IDF, uh, the, the talking about the, the three hostages um, having been killed. I mean, that's a pretty d- devastating mistake. It is. And, you know, even from the Israeli Defense Forces uh, comments about it, it seems that those hostages who were uh, trying to escape their captors uh, had done just about everything they could to signal that they were Israelis and hostages. They mm. apparently weren't wearing shirts to show that they don't have any explosives or weapons on them. They had their hands up. They were carrying what appeared to be a white flag. Uh, they even spoke, tried to speak in Hebrew to the soldiers. So 
that episode has caused obviously a lot of anguish within Israel. And among Israel's critics in this conflict, it's led uh, some people to say, you know, if if they're hitting getting some of their own citizens by accident, uh, what does that mean for how they've been looking after civilian deaths in Gaza? So it's a it's a very uncomfortable position for the government right now. Mm. Meanwhile, the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin heading to Israel, Bahrain and Qatar after a stop in Kuwait at the weekend. Um, what of this you know, next leg in U.S. diplomacy? It's the second visit for, for Austin to the region. Yeah, you've heard the U.S. increasingly uh, be uh, critical of, of how the civilian casualties are playing out in Gaza. Uh, more and more stark warnings from the U.S. that they think uh, the civilian death count and casualty count shouldn't be so high. I think uh, what we're expecting Lloyd Austin to do really behind closed doors is uh, start to pressure Israel more to have a, a much more targeted campaign uh, that that says, you know, if you're going after Hamas's leaders, you're going to you, you should do it with, uh, you know, groups of elite troops doing raids as opposed to uh, trying to bomb buildings or bomb meeting halls and places like that. Uh, you know, basically looking for attacks that have uh, less likelihood of civilian casualties. Mm. Bill, thank you so much for joining me uh, this morning. Bloomberg Senior Editor Bill Ferry is then giving us the latest on the pressures on the Israeli government, the third month of the war between Israel and Hamas. Thank you so much for your time. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Now, the English and Welsh criminal justice system is being pushed to breaking point, the subject of our next conversation. The Crown Courts of England and Wales, which deal with the most serious offences, are buckling under a record backlog of almost 67,000 cases, a figure that has doubled since 2019, according to uh, government data. For those who are victims of the most serious crimes, like sexual assaults, those weights are having a huge impact on their lives. And our legal Reporter Catherine Gamal has been looking into this story and she joins me now. Good morning. Thank you for being with us on Bloomberg Radio. Why um, uh, are court backlogs just so lengthy and why do they continue to grow, Catherine? Yeah, thanks very much for having me this morning. So the, the Crown Courts of England and Wales, and these are the courts which deal with the most serious offences, are buckling under a record backlog of almost 67,000 cases, as you said, which has almost doubled since 2019. Um, so nearly 10,000 of those are prosecutions involving sexual offences, including rape. Um, so 
you know, factors that go into that is the government reduced sitting days a few years ago. Barristers are leaving in record numbers. There's prisons that are overcrowded and physical court buildings that are being closed because of crumbling conditions. So this situation really is worsening um, and it really is a symptom of a criminal justice system that appears to be at a breaking point. Yeah, um the cr- the crumbling of of the the court system is is really um striking in the way that you've described it. The human cost then to these delays, Catherine. Yeah, that's a really important point of this story that we've really tried to highlight in our story um, because, you know, the human cost of these delays um, is really apparent, especially through um, the sexually offence victims. Um, so these are some of the most urgent and sensitive that are in the system. We spoke to a victim who was told on the eve of her trial of four men accused of raping her that it has been, it would been postponed for a further year. Um, and she told us that this was actually the most devastating part devastating part of her case. Um, Her case then dragged on for another four years and the men were eventually acquitted. Um, She told us that she felt hopelessness with the criminal justice system. You know, when she was asked if something like this would happen to her again, would she involve the police in the courts? She immediately said said no. No. Um, Claire Waxman, who's London's first victims commissioner, told us that it was these... Um, it was very rare that these types of cases go ahead on the actual day. Um, and of course, this brings all sorts of trauma to victims who have already been extremely traumatised. Yeah, um, I, I, there's a lot I see in, in the newspaper about around the concern around the sort of decriminalisation, perhaps of some of these sexual um, uh, assaults because of the numbers. What is the government and the Labour Party proposing to try to do to help? Yeah, so, I mean, the government right now is saying that it's prosecuting more adult rape cases than in 2010 um, when the Conservative Party came to power. Um, but they say, and they say that they've launched a 24-7 victim support line, have extended unlimited court sitting days for the third year in a row. Okay. Um, for Labour, they've, you know, they've vowed to restore basic services um, if they get into power next year and attempt to tap into voters ahead of the general election. They said they wanted to bring in special rape forces as well. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.